Would you pray with me? Father, we, we need you to hold us fast, Lord. There are just so many things that we are incapable of on our own. So many things that we, we put on ourselves, that we feel the need to carry, that we are, are insufficient to carry. And Lord, I, I can't imagine going through life without your help. I thank you, Lord, for all the ways you do help, ways that I am very aware of and ways that I am ignorant of. Lord, your kindness is abundant. And so, Lord, as we, as we shift our attention into, into something new for us as a church this morning, I pray that the abundance of your kindness would, would captivate our hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that you would work within us to have a greater trust of you with these things that we carry as burdens. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've learned that within uh, Midwestern culture, and I've learned this having grown up in the Midwest, having traveled a little bit and and having made friends with people who are not from the Midwest that there is a great Midwestern lie and I think we're, we're all guilty of this great Midwestern lie and it's not that we live here despite the weather pretending it's a great place to be um, but it, it happens multiple times a day when you're going through your life and whether you're at the gas station or at work or running into uh, somewhere on the friendship spectrum to you and they say, how are you doing? And you say, I'm fine. I'm great. That's the great Midwestern lie. See, if you go to other parts of the country, you go to the South, and someone's not fine, they'll tell you, but they'll tell you in such a way that you feel like you just ate peach cobbler. If you go to the West Coast, they'll ignore you, look right past you, and move out. And if you go to the East Coast, they will tell you in ways that let you know exactly how they are and might teach you a few new words. But in the Midwest... We're fine. It's like being in school, and there's a question on the test, and you know there's a right answer you're supposed to give, even though it's not the answer you believe. And so you say, I'm fine. It's like saying, why did the Boston Tea Party happen? And you know that the answer the teacher's looking for is taxation without representation. But in your heart, you also know the answer is we as a country were rejecting tea for coffee as the superior beverage. So we just say we're fine. I'm fine. I'm great. I'm all right. I'm good. How are you? But here's the problem. When you tell people you're fine, they're going to believe you. They're going to think, oh, he's fine. And then they'll go on with their life as though your life is fine. Meanwhile, you know your life is not okay. 
that there are things weighing you down. There are things keeping you up at night. There are things really disturbing your heart and mind. And you're not fine. But since everyone thinks you're fine because some bozo, i.e. yourself, told them you're fine, you are left to carry those burdens alone. And you're left to go through all of that without the help of those around you who care for you. And here's what, there's a couple things I want to point out. As you, as a good Midwesterner, carry on the I'm fine lie. You don't need to be fine because here, right now, you're in a room full of people who love Jesus who have all dealt with baggage of their own, grief of their own, pain of their own, consequences of sin of their own, and they love you and want to be there with you and for you through whatever it is you're facing. They want to pray with you. They want to take care of you. They love you, whether or not you're willing to admit that or come to terms with that. But I know from personal experience that it can be scary to look at another person in the eye, to have a conversation with another person, even someone that you have a fairly high level of trust for, and to be brutally honest with where you're at. That can be scary. I pray that we all get to that point with each other, experience the freedom of that, the joy of that, the unity that that would bring, I pray that that would happen, but I know it's scary. And so I also want to make a really big deal over the next few weeks of a couple of verses in particular out of Peter, and then look at these verses as they apply to different burdens that we carry. And these verses are 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Listen to this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen to this. In love, God invites you to bring your anxieties to him. In love, God invites you and is inviting you to bring your anxieties to Him. These verses, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, stand as, this, as an invitation for us to come to the safest of all places. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. There may be some people that that sounds terrifying to, but I want to let you know that being humbled under the mighty hand of God is the safest of all places. Humility is, in this case specifically, is knowing the difference between us and the Lord and living in that reality. I also believe 
that humility is one of the greatest hurdles that keeps us from bringing our anxieties to the Lord or much, much more so to each other. That there's a certain breed of pride that, that builds up in our lives that prevents us from coming and saying, I am really struggling here and I can't keep it together on my own. And the, the willingness to be honest and say, I'm really struggling, requires humility. And that humility needs to start between us and the Lord. <clears throat> that, that we would approach God not with the assumption that we are just, just barely underneath the Lord, but deeply and vastly underneath the Lord and greatly in need of his help. That the Lord doesn't need my help to solve the world, but I greatly need the Lord's help for me to be able to functionally operate and grow within my world. It's the only way to approach the Lord. And this, under the hand of God, under the mighty hand of God, this is, let's think of this as a sheltering underneath, not a, a squashing underneath, but a sheltering underneath that I could humble myself and God would place his mighty hand lovingly, gently, and in a protective manner over me. I think of Paul's words in Colossians, that my life is hidden in Christ, in God. That the Lord would have his hand on me with the intent, listen to this, that at the right time he may exalt you. So I'm coming in humility to the Lord. He puts his loving hand on me with the intent of raising me up. It is the safest of all places. And not only is this an invitation to come to the safest of places, this is a, an invitation to receive divine hospitality. It is a divine come and take a load off. Would you enter into the presence of God And in an appropriate manner, sit down, put your feet up, relax, and be cared for by the Lord. True hospitality takes care of the needs of others. A truly hospitable host, when people enter their home, they enter knowing, I'm hungry, but I'm going to be fed. I'm thirsty, and I'm going to have a drink in my hand. I'm lonely, and I'm going to have relationship. I'm uncomfortable, and I'm going to be made comfortable. And the Lord's hospitality to us, as we think of this, if, if I have this invitation from God to come and receive his hospitality, and this invitation from my anxiety to come and receive its hospitality, Really what I have here is five-star, all-inclusive resort from the Lord where, you know, these places that I dream of going but never will. And I just, here's what I imagine. There's somebody kind of following close behind, not in a creepy way, but they have two trays. And these two trays are available for me at all times. And one has fresh shrimp cocktail and the other has chips and guac. And this person is following me, waiting for the opportunity to give me either shrimp cocktail or chips and guac. And I love that person. That person is caring for my needs in the deepest of ways. So we have this five-star all-inclusive resort with the shrimp cocktail and guac where they flow like the salmon of Capistrana. That's an obscure reference for you guys. 
where all my needs are cared for. And then I have my anxieties hospitality, which is a super sketchy Super 8 motel, even by Super 8 standards, where I bring my own raid and my own mousetraps. Because not only are my needs not met, but there are a few new needs that arise the moment I enter in that I didn't have while I was in my car. And the reason for this invite, that we would come, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he could exalt us and that we would cast our anxieties on him, the reason for this is because the Lord cares for you. The Lord loves you. And we commonly think of the Lord's love in these grand ways. We have a cross at the front of the church to remind us of this grand love of God that while we were still sinners, Christ came down, the Son of God came down, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, and died on our behalf. We, ought, we commonly think of the love of God in this very grand kind of macro way. And here, First Peter is calling us to think of the love of God in a very personal, intimate, micro way where the Lord would come and say, can you tell me what's burdening you, because I care for you. I want to listen. I want to be present with you, and I want to help you. He loves you, not just in the way of the cross, but in a way of hearing and receiving our anxiety. In this personal, daily, affectionate love of God on the micro level is very important for us to realize and consistently walk in. And so for the sake of this series, it's going to take us several weeks here. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a debate table. And there are two opponents at this debate table. And one opponent is your anxiety or your flesh. Kind of this natural part of you. And the other opponent is the Lord. And we are going to let these two opponents duke it out. But we need to know, as anyone who goes to a debate, that they really care about what's being talked about. They want to research the people debating. And so we research our flesh. We know that it's made in the image of God. And so it has some good natural insights to it. It'll recognize things that are wrong. It'll point out where things have fallen short. But it's also, as much as it's made in the image of God, it's also marred and tainted by sin. And it has a bent towards sin. And it has a bent towards what is the easiest, quickest kind of fix I can slap on this. The type of fix that would be about as effective as superglue on a flat tire. That's our flesh. And then we have over here the Lord. And the Lord speaks to us through the word of God. Which was breathed out by the Lord so that we could be taught, corrected, rebuked, and trained up in righteousness, equipped for every good work. The word of the Lord will speak to us. And sometimes it'll feel a little harsh. But the intent of that is that we would be built up, that the harshness would correct the parts of our flesh that really need to be corrected, so that we can be trained up and equipped and brought forward and grown. Those are the two members of this debate table. 
So we need to identify the competing voices, and we need to know, this is an important rule of debate, the loudest voice at the debate table is not always the right voice. The loudest voice is not the right voice. It becomes a lot easier sometimes to hear our flesh. But just because it's the loudest does not mean it's right. And so let's let the word of God speak. And so in light of God's holy love for us, and we, when we think of bringing our anxieties, this morning I want to start with what it means that we would bring our guilt and shame. In light of God's holy love for us, we can bring even our guilt and shame. You see, sin weighs on us because it's contrary to God's created design for us. I don't know if you've ever walked, gone hiking when it's muddy, or maybe uh, gone out hunting when it's muddy out. And what happens is your boots or your shoes slowly build up and cake up more and more mud. And your feet still feel like they might be clean and whatnot, but your shoes get progressively heavier and heavier and heavier, and it becomes more and more difficult to walk. And in certain conditions, it doesn't matter how much you scrape off because it's just going to keep caking back on and caking back on. We need to take our sins seriously. And we need to take seriously the burden that sin puts on us. And I want to look at this in a a couple pretty broad categories. It'll be the sins of us and the sins of others. And so first we need to look at the guilt and shame for what we have done. This is a burden you're not strong enough to carry. Psalm 130 Verse 3 says, if the Lord should not mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And I I think, you know, we look at this and, and it feels like a rhetorical question, but let's really think about this. God, if you kept track in an accounting like fashion of all of my sin and it was always before me, I would not be able to stand under that. And it raises a problem with my limitation and a grave concern. And then we have verse 4. But with you, with the Lord, there is forgiveness that the Lord may be feared. So we have these two realities. One, my sin crushes me. And two, sorry, I should put this on the flesh side of the debate table. My sin crushes me. And with the Lord, there is forgiveness. To get a more detailed look at this, we're going to go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, for a little bit of context, this is David praying and rejoicing in the forgiveness of sin he realized and felt and was aware of after a very particular sin. And not just he lied to his Sunday school teacher. This isn't he he snuck out past curfew. This is... He stole the wife of one of his soldiers, got her pregnant, and had him killed in order to cover it up. Pretty big deal. 
Pretty dark, gross, disgusting stuff. And this is the, the psalm he prays. And it's, and it's when he realizes the Lord has forgiven him. We're going to look particularly at the first six verses. The first seven verses, sorry. Of this psalm. And they, they walk us through a little bit of what it is. And it, they walk us through how to take our burden of our guilt and our shame to the Lord. And it starts out with, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This seems like one of the most obvious things you could ever hear. Oh, it's really good to have no sin in your life. It's really good to walk with God in such a way that there's absolutely no sin, no barrier between you and him. It's something we strive for, but at the same time, we're thinking, well, who can actually do this? Is this one of those promises in the Bible that's only for the really good Christians? Like maybe there's those mythical unicorn type Christians out there that you, you hear about, but you'll probably never see. And they, they have no sin. They walk with God perfectly. And, and I bet they, they get to see angels when they wake up in the morning too. And it maybe it makes it feel even more out of reach that maybe this is available for no one, that maybe it's imaginary or at least just not true of me. We need to go back to verse 1, though. These people have transgression, and it's been forgiven. Their sin has been covered. It's been removed. Verse 3 gives us this picture of the burden of sin. When I kept silent, and maybe this burden feels very familiar to some of you. Maybe it's how you feel now. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away though through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You see the difference of the hand being on him here as he's denying his sin versus the invitation of Peter for God's mighty hand to cover us as we humble ourselves? Do you see the difference here? The invitation is come. Come knowing that God is infinitely greater than you. Come knowing your shortcoming. Come asking God for help and his mighty hand will be on you to exalt you. But when we come to the Lord saying, there's nothing wrong with me, his hand is heavy on us. And look at, my bones were wasting away. This is a, this is a, a toll that, that is on him that is affecting internally and externally. I feel like everything inside me is in turmoil. He's trying to carry his own sin. He was trying to pretend like he had done nothing wrong. And how often do we try this? Oh, I stand justified before God. I did some pretty good deeds. All the while, we ignore our sin. We ignore our pride. Our anger. We ignore our addiction to satisfying the flesh through whatever that is, whether that's pornography or gluttony of food. We ignore our jealousy. We walk in deceit in all these ways, lying to ourselves, lying to the Lord. We, we, we feel like we are justified in our unforgiveness of other people. 
And it just keeps heaping on. It's like that mud continuing to cake onto our boots, making every step laborsome. Now, sin is not, hear me clearly, sin is not the lone cause of anxiety. And I don't want you, if you are here this morning, battling anxieties, I don't want you to go home thinking, well, the only reason I'm battling anxieties is because I'm so sinful. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there are and there can be a lot of times in our life where we're feeling anxieties and one of the primary causes is sin that is undealt with. I have, um, I have different friends and acquaintances who are in the counseling field. And a lot of times when they have teenagers coming in, feeling anxiety, feeling like all kinds of symptoms, whether it's depression, they're overthinking everything, they can't get enough. One of their first questions is, how many energy drinks are you drinking a day? What's your caffeine intake? And they say, we'll meet, we'll meet, and they set a future date, whether it's two days out, a week out, they say, but you need, you need to cut the energy drinks and you need to sleep. You need to go to bed at such and such time and sleep eight hours a night. And a lot of times their anxieties melt away because they weren't really suffering from anxiety. They were suffering from a secondary cause, in that case, caffeine addiction. And so for us, sometimes the anxiety we feel is a secondary cause, which is trying to carry the burden of our own sin instead of letting Christ carry it for us. And so recognizing the blessing of walking in righteousness, recognizing the burden of sin, then we come down to verse 5 and the glorious lightness and freedom of walking without the weight of sin. Look at this. I acknowledged my sin to you, to the Lord. He's praying here. I did not cover my iniquity. I was open. I said, Lord, here's what I've done wrong. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God, let's, let's look back at David's life in this specific instance. David said, God, I stole Uriah's wife. Even after all Uriah had done for me, the friend he had been, the soldier he had been, and I set up his murder in a way that made me look a little bit innocent so that I could then keep his wife. He confessed that to God and God forgave him. I acknowledged my sin. I did not cover it. I said I will confess and the Lord forgave me. Acknowledge your sin to the Lord. Don't carry that extra weight anymore. And then be forgiven. And this, this, there's this great thing, this great promise in Scripture. If we confess our sin to the Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Now for some of us, and for some of the sins we've committed, this is a daily reminder. God has removed my sin from me. To the point where maybe you need to put that on a sticky note or make it the background of your phone, so every time you look at your phone, you're like, God has removed my sin from me. And we have to forcibly tell ourselves this until we can actually be strong enough to trust that promise from God. And then he says, therefore, because of this truth, 
everyone who is godly offer prayer. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This destruction shall not reach him. This death shall not reach him. And he says, Lord, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me in trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And here what David has experienced is he's experienced the difference between in his flesh saying, I will cover my iniquity from God. I'll pretend like everything's right and feeling the heaviness of God's hand upon him that, that wears out his bones and then humbling himself before the Lord and feeling the comfort of God's mighty hand on him as a safe and protecting place. It's ironic, and we need to embrace this irony, that we who are sinful could find the Lord to be a shelter and a hiding place. The holy God of heaven would be a shelter and a hiding place for us when we lay bare our sins and say, Lord, forgive me. He would become our hiding place. And we need to let Scripture even though it's not always the loudest voice at that debate table, we need to let it be the right voice. We need to trust it. And especially when it comes to some of our habitual sins. Whether that's our pride, our lust, or some other addiction that we just continually give ourselves to, to alcoholism, to gambling, Christ is doing a work in you. He who began a good work in you is faithful and will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ. He's still working in you. And I want you to trust this promise in Scripture. There will come a day where that sin is no longer part of what describes you. That day may come in heaven when you stand fully glorified and you no longer sin at all. And by God's grace, I hope that that day comes long before you get to heaven. When that addiction is put to rest. That sinful crutch is put to rest. Fight for the freedom and the power. Fight for the freedom that's available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you, O believer. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior... That is the first step to finding this freedom. So that's dealing with the sin done to us. Now we need to deal with the sin around us. Primarily the sin that's been done to us. Now there's another category here that we're, we unfortunately don't have enough time to really get into, and that's the sin that we witness of others we love. Sometimes we really love people and we just see them going down roads that are really tough and that creates an anxiety and a burden to us, that will fill in a little bit in a few weeks as we talk about some of these unknown things that we carry of not knowing what tomorrow holds. But I want to invite you to fast forward to what you see in front of you with communion with that, remembering what the Lord has done and then praying for those who are going down those roads to walk in the fullness of what the Lord has done for them. So let's go to what the sin that has been done to us. Sometimes this is stuff that's distant in the past and sometimes this is ongoing. That you've been lied to, manipulated, abused, betrayed, harmed by someone you love. Maybe someone has committed a literal crime against you or just flat out walked out on you and abandoned you. For some reason, 
I will never understand this, but for some reason, Westbrook Evangelical Free Church that I grew up going to in Omaha, which is now the Omaha Chinese Christian Church, they had these big glass windows. And every kid within 10 miles of the church with a BB gun felt called to practice and sight in their BB guns on those windows. I don't know why. It never shattered. The bullets went through, the BBs went through so slow, it never shattered. But it would create a very distinct BB gun hole where the outside of the window is a tiny hole. And then through the pane of glass, you see a cone going with it about the size of your fingertip. And you could see exactly the path of this BB that it went through, creating a small hole and then a wider opening on the backside. And this is a true thing for ballistics. That when a bullet enters, it creates a small opening. And when it exits, it leaves a very large opening. And this is a pretty good picture of the sin done to us. Where someone has done something to us, maybe just in a moment, maybe in several moments spread out over time. And on one side, it looks like you have several small holes, and then on the back side, there's just big openings that are giant wounds that are festering, that are infected. And you just try and cover those wounds up, because if all people see is the tiny holes, then maybe they'll think you're okay. Or what happens is you are left there as the victim of whatever has happened, the survivor of whatever has happened, and you feel like in this sin equation that the perpetrator, the person who has wronged you, they leave with the little hole and you leave with the giant wound. That through a momentary loss of self-control, an outburst of anger, a moment of lust or what feels like a convenient half-truth creates a small entry and creates in us a great exit wound. And it's important, I need to tell you, if you are here and this is resonating with you, that you have done nothing wrong. That you have nothing to repent of. You've been cheated when you've been lied to, when you've been abused, manipulated, assaulted, molested. That the sin of the other person and sin in general will leave shades and aromas of death wherever it goes. But if these things have happened to you, you have nothing to repent of because of them. And it can feel like you're wearing like this, this stained, reeking shirt. And it's a burden you carry. And due to the lack of time, I want to, I want to offer up a couple of biblical solutions where the biblical voice speaks into these things. And I, I do this knowing that these, are, these solutions are oversimplifications. I do it knowing that, that these solutions sometimes require help. Sometimes that help comes through counseling. <clears throat> sometimes that help comes through uh, a, a 
grief support group of some kind that help. We have, a, we have a ministry here called Stephen's Ministry where someone just walks with you in your pain and they ask you questions and they listen and they pray for you. And sometimes that just happens through being engaged in Christian community and letting other brothers and sisters in Christ care for you. And as we approach these two solutions, I want you to know that God does not approve or condone of what has been done to you. And because the human heart is deceitful above all things, I specifically want to address those abusers who would justify and propagate their abuse through misquoting scripture or mixing in religious language to justify their behavior. And I need you to know that God is angry about that too. So here's two things I want you to consider. One, as we take this burden of sin done to us to the Lord, I want you to consider this. God has called and commanded you in Scripture to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Don't try to cure sin done to you by obsessing over that wrong in a vindictive manner. Forgive it. Don't try to cure sin with a sin. Don't take the poison of unforgiveness into your own system, hoping it will kill someone else. And know that this command to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, this is given to you for your good. This is a command where God said, I know you live in a sinful world where a lot of junk happens. Don't carry that junk in ways you don't need to. Would you forgive it? And forgiving, a big part of forgiving, is is the second part of let God be the one who gets justice for you. Romans 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Would you, would you let the Lord get justice for you? I guarantee he'll do a better job. Because the sin done against you was done against him as well. And finally, we come to this table set before us. Knowing that the sin done to us, the sin that we have committed, was ultimately nailed to the cross. And as we think of what it takes for us to carry the burden of our sin, we need to remember that Christ carried the burden of our sin on the cross. That he took that burden on himself so that we could walk with the Lord, having our sins forgiven and knowing that God will get justice for sins committed. We can take it to the cross. So I'm going to invite the praise team and the elders to come forward as we prepare to take communion. I invite you, uh, if, if you're here this morning, you're a believer, and, you've, and you feel like, no, I've, I've been able to take my sin to the Lord. I've been able to ask forgiveness for my sin. I invite you to, to take these elements, to hold them until we can all partake together. If you're here this morning, either, either you don't know Jesus as your Savior, or there's a sin that you're holding on to and trying to cover up, trying to, trying to, to shield from the Lord, would you, 
would you consider this morning not taking communion? And instead, use this time to reflect on what it means to just lay that open to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to cover my iniquity from you. Or consider what's really holding me back from making Jesus my Lord. And am I ready to do that here and now? Let's pray. Father, we we come to you humbly. We want to position ourselves under your hand, asking for your help, because we need it. Lord, would you forgive us? And Lord, would you help us to remember, as we face the struggle of our sin, of sin done to us, help us to remember, Lord, that Christ has paid it all for us. That his sacrifice is sufficient, so I don't need to add to that. I don't need to do any of the lifting because Christ has done it all for me. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.